Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, and welcome to another podcast from Veterinary Business Matters or Insights from Oculus. I am joined today by one of my colleagues and good friends at Oculus Insights, Ms. Katie Arline. Katie is our HR specialist. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Mike. So tell us a little bit about why you're so interested in HR, because I know this is one thing that, you know, in the business world that really gets you excited. So why don't you tell a little bit about why you got into HR and what keeps you excited about it? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, for me, I'm always interested in how people work together um, and how they work happily together and what factors sort of go into why they don't work well together. When I was in, um, you know, high school and even in university and uh, in some of the extracurricular things I was involved with, I was always interested in, you know, why certain teams worked really well together and why others didn't and how people, uh, it seems to me that a lot of the time people held themselves back um, instead of helping themselves move forward in their lives and in their careers. So once I finished my schooling, which was for music history, which is very useful, uh, (laughs) it has its place, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a teacher. So I was pretty much shut the door on that. Uh, so once I was done university, I did go back to school uh, and was really interested in the, the HR program that was um, offered at my local college. So I did the year-long program there, and um, it really opened my eyes to the way that we can influence people in a very positive or negative way by how we set them up to work and how we talk to them and how we involve them in their development. So I think for me, the most gratifying thing about HR is helping people kind of remove the obstacles that they or maybe their company has put in front of them for success. So, you know, seeing somebody who's struggling, seeing them blossom, seeing them um, really realize their own potential is really what inspires me with HR, what keeps me coming back. Because it's not all sunshine and roses all the time. Um, But definitely, you know, having those breakthroughs with people and seeing a team work better together, um, all of those things are things that really keep me coming back for sure. And I think being in the vet field is really, really a, a special case because we work so closely together and there are real ups and downs throughout a day. Uh, it could be absolute just terror dealing with a crashing patient to, oh, it's the middle of the winter and the phone's silent. And, and yet we spend so much time with the people we work with in very emotional times because I said the ups and the downs. And I think but really a great HR system can really help a lot of practices because I know whenever you talk to a practice owner, what's the biggest challenge you have is like the people, not just the customers, but just trying to manage our people. I know uh, with some of the clients that we've had at Oculus, and I don't want to make this a promo fest about Oculus, I just see the difference that the HR programs that you've put together with these practices have really just helped them to excel. Definitely. I think, you know, a lot of what it boils down to is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is communication and expectations and the communication of expectations. And I find people generally want to do a good job, but they're not always sure how. So, you know, putting those expectations in place and giving them an avenue to provide feedback and to be given feedback is really key in success at those companies for sure. Right. 
as Katie was alluding to, we've uh, what we're going to do is just as a bit of an intro is Katie and I are going to chat once a month about all things HR. And to sort of give some structure to what we're talking about, we're going to review a couple of articles that either one of us have found either online or a business journal or, or even a situation that we've encountered and just discuss it. So the first one uh, was an article that just came out actually yesterday. We're recording this towards the middle of February, and it's uh, from the Gallup Agency. And the title of it is Four Factors Driving Record High Employee Engagement in the United States. So it's a little bit focused on the U.S., but I think some of the things we'll talk about can apply to any country. So Katie, you're reading this. Uh, Gallup has always been involved in looking at employee engagement. First of all, let's talk about what is employee engagement before we get into the numbers. Employee engagement is the degree to which people are willing to sort of go, I call it outside the job description. So the, the amount that people are dedicated to the company and the cause of the company, you know, it's the difference between showing up, putting in your eight hours of work and going home and not thinking about work and uh, being a person who sort of seeks more out of work. So, you know, seeks more meaningful relationships out of work um, and seeks to sort of have a more fulfilling work life. Um, that's really the basic part for me. Yeah, I just sort of like you really have that emotional connection to the business. The success mm-hmm. of the business is your success. When the business, something happens to the business, you take it personally. You know, I think those are the people that, you know, that's a culture we all would love to have because when people are really believing in what we're doing, uh, they're going to try harder. And then that gets transferred into patient care, into customer service. So I think it's just win-win for everything. You know, so you saw this article. I said this article. And when you saw the four factors driving record high, record high employee engagement in the U.S., (laughs) what did you think that number was going to be? Because I'm going to tell you what I thought my numbers. Tell me your number. Uh, I thought it was going to be maybe between sixty-five and seventy. Yeah, I was I was thinking the low to mid sixties. So we're we're in the right space. So the number they came to and they were so happy about is that it has gone up to thirty-five percent. And then that's you know those are people that are really engaged as you know they're highly involved, enthusiastic about, committed to their work and workplace. And then thirteen percent has been a consistent level of people that are really really actively disengaged. They just don't want to be there. So where that leads us is to this number of fifty two percent are in the not engaged category, which kind of blew my mind. Like I, I think they were really like really trying to find something to be pretty excited about, but. When 52 or more than half the workforce are people that, you know, don't have any energy or as they describe it, they don't, you know, they're not really attached to their work or the company. They just put in their time. There's no energy or passion. You know, they show up to work and they contribute the minimum required. I mean, I would not be bragging about 52%. That's just me. Yeah, it was, uh, it's a bit shocking and it's, it's interesting because we, talk to a lot of companies about their own employee engagement. And, you know, we do the surveys for them and we talk about, you know, I think that our average right now is about 75%. And, uh, you know, we talk to companies who want to do better. I mean, certainly we have companies that score a lot lower, but, um, you know, I think that before we talk about anything else, we have to acknowledge that um, the veterinary industry does have quite high engagement despite itself in some cases. But yeah, I mean, that 35%, and that would be across all industries. I think it, it was, uh, was it 4,200 people? At- yeah, it was just a random survey, something like 4,700 uh, from January yeah. to August of last year. I mean, it's kind of sad, <laughs> but I mean, anything, you know, there's a, and I'm sure you're going to um, 
to make the link available or, or whatever the case may be. But it was interesting to see that, I mean, it is going up and that's a good thing and we can't lose sight of that. But my heart kind of hurts for all of those folks who are in that actively disengaged mode. I mean, that's like half the workforce. Yeah. But, you know, hey, if you want to look at, you know, the, the sunny side of this, you know, glass is half full. When they started looking at this in 2000, you know, 26% of workers were engaged and 18% were actively uh, disengaged. So there has been some improvement. What I, um, you know, when they said, you know, talk about, you know, the impact of highly engaged employees is, you know, and what we have found this as well, too, is that, you know, those practices of highly engaged employees, they have better outcomes, better production, you know, the customers are treated better, the businesses are growing. I mean, there's so many positives to it. What I thought was interesting, and, I, and it kind of seemed a bit validating in terms of what we're looking at with, you know, how we look at, you know, vet organizations are people first, people are our biggest assets. And, you know, too many, too often in this industry, uh, we look at people as an expense and how to manage it as instead of looking at them as an asset that can make your practice greater. And so when they start talking about what makes um, practices with more highly engaged people, I thought we can dig into this for a while. And they said they have high development cultures where people can see the impact on the organizations and its customers through their own work. They have opportunities to develop their strengths and a purpose into their career. And so, you know, they say this is what is essential because the main reason why employees change jobs is to pursue career growth opportunities. In other words, they either hit a ceiling, um, there's no opportunities, and there's no near-term, long-term growth plans. And so they're just stagnant and they just want to grow. Um, so what they've talked about, they said there are four themes they've identified in organizations with high development cultures. And I thought, let's dig into them. So the first one, high development cultures are CEO and board initiative. So we're talking about smaller vet practices. We don't necessarily have a board, but we do have practice owners, um, you know, leaders. And so can you want to comment on this, Katie? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting because um, veterinarians are generally excellent veterinarians. They're excellent doctors um, and they end up you know, all of a sudden they own a business and, you know, they're, they're still very much veterinarians and they're not necessarily business focused or they haven't had that background. So, um, you know, it's, it can be, and we've seen this at, um, you know, time and time again, where they're just sort of, you know, seeing patients and filling holes with staff and there's not, they don't really necessarily have the time or the, you know, wherewithal to put together a plan, you know, what, what their purpose is and, you know, kind of think about what their brand is and how they're going to differentiate themselves. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, and I was at a, a town hall meeting for one of our clients last week where the culture and the, the purpose and the mission, the vision are very, very well defined. And you can really see how all of the initiatives that um, the company uh, does, whether it's, you know, a business initiative or it's an employee initiative or whatever the case may be, it's all very much in line with, with the mission, the, the vision, the purpose and the brand. Um, so I thought it, it was very interesting um, and a really good reminder to read this that, you know, management has that, it's their prerogative really to make sure that the, the people that work for them understand why they're there and what they're doing and how they're going to do it. You know, and then everybody understands how they fit in, you know, they understand you know, why is it important for me to make sure all these reminders get sent out or, or whatever the case may be? It helps them really 
frame what they're doing in the context of the the larger group and and where everybody's going together. Purpose is probably one of the reasons why vet practices do better than the average for employee engagement because even if you're in a work environment that's toxic, there's still a lot of enjoyment or satisfaction out of taking care of an animal, treating an animal and, you know, bringing it back to life, doing what we do with with pets. And I think that gives us a sense of purpose, even if the company doesn't have one uh, or it's kind of wishy-washy mm-hmm. or, you know, but I think that helps. Um, but I think our vet practices can be even better if there is an outline purpose that people are all on the same page for. So. so the second one they talk about are high development cultures, educate managers on new ways of managing. So moving from a culture of a top-down, hierarchical, command and control to more of a coach. And so let's talk about coaching and we can maybe give some examples of how you know we have found coaching to be so successful with some of our clients. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, the coaching versus managing, just to make sure that people understand sort of what we're talking about, the way I see it is managing is is very prescriptive. Um, it's, you know, do this and do that. Whereas coaching is, here's what the goal is. How can we as a team or you as an individual get towards that goal? So it's really part- participative and really involves the person in their own development versus a manager where it's just input and output. Coaching is how can we help you grow? How can we help you remove obstacles that are um, in your way as far as uh, advancing in your career, or, you know, even just getting a specific task or project done. Um, and it really, the coaching helps put the onus more on the employee. And I mean, that's, that's engagement right there is, you know, encouraging people to think up their own solutions, encouraging them to be themselves and to problem solve on their own, you know, instead of having to look to, you know, go to management and say, I have this problem. And then management solves it for the people and they may or may not like the results. Coaching would say, okay, well, let's involve everybody in solving this problem. And then we'll all be more um, satisfied with the result because we had a hand in, in coming up with it. So it's a, it's a more personal way of um, directing people than just straight up management. And I think this sort of goes in with some of the newer research that has come out recently and that, you know, we, we think of, you know, why should we be encouraging or complimentary, thankful to our staff that they're just doing our jobs, but really more and more research is showing that the more appreciative that we can be for people, um, the more that we can recognize the work that they do, the better output, the better effort they're going to do because they feel right about it. So I think more and more we're really losing mm-hmm. uh, that old sense that, you know, do what I tell you to do. I, I'm controlling how everything goes to where the, the leader of the practices becomes a coach, but almost on the same level on a very flat hierarchy and, and everybody works together. So I think that's where great practices are moving to. Definitely more of a team-based approach rather than kind of, you know, the old mushroom analogy. So uh, yeah, I think it's <laughs> it's really interesting seeing, you know, even when we have given um, manager to more traditional manager types the tools to bring more coaching into how they do things, the differences that they can make with the staff are really I can speak for myself is that, you know, one of the partners we have at Oculus, uh, Sue Armstrong, is a, is a certified business coach, executive coach. And I've brought her in to, to work with some of my veterinarians, some of our managers, and it's been outstanding, the results. And you really look at it and go, why wouldn't we have a coach? You know, This is a tough job that we have as veterinarians, and there's a lot of obstacles. 
and having somebody look at those with, through our eyes and to help give us techniques to deal with it better. It's just like a great athletic coach or a team coach is that, you know, they find what makes you great and brings that out. And they try to discover things that may be holding you back. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now where all of our vets are like, you know, hey, I'm open for any coaching because I, I see the difference it's made in my coworkers and I like to be part of it. And I know when we've had, as you mentioned, other people who have started to get into coaching and veterinarians are often wary about this because we're, you know, very much perfectionists and we just don't think we need help and we can do it all ourselves. But when you have somebody that tries it the first time in a very safe space and they can talk about their challenges and where they want to be, the oh, you just see the difference. And it's just one of the, to me, it's one of the best discoveries I've made as a business owner of bringing in coaching and offering it to staff because it's just, it just makes such a difference in their lives, not just professionally, but personally too. And that is always satisfying. Absolutely. And we've seen some pretty, um, fabulous and uh, really gratifying turnarounds with some folks. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, I mean, Sue um, is a professional coach, but I think that there's also certainly um, coaching uh, attributes that we can teach to managers to help them be more effective as well. I mean, you know, it might not be to the same level as a professional coach, obviously, but, you know, it helps them give them a different tool in their toolbox for day to day management and supportive staff. Well, we'll definitely bring Sue on to one of the next podcasts because I think this is one of the uh, secret sauces that most practices could really find some benefit from that. So moving on to the next point, they talk about high development cultures practice company-wide communication. So can you comment on that at all, Katie, and how it applies to a vet practice? Definitely. Um, The way that they sort of framed it in the article was um, communicating uh, best practices. So making sure that, you know, you have a, you almost have a nucleus of people who are your high performers who are sharing how they do things and why they do them the way they do. And I think that's wonderful. That's a great idea. But I think in general, and I mentioned communication that uh, right at the beginning of this podcast I think that, um, you know, understanding the role that communication or poor communication um, can make in a practice is really, really crucial. And sometimes we we're in a rush and we forget and we say, I'm just going to tell the people that I think need to know. Uh, And, you know, people find out things secondhand, thirdhand, all of a sudden a new person shows up and nobody told the manager (laughs) that they were coming as certainly happens. It's just, it's very demoralizing for people when they don't know what's going on. Um, They don't know why we're doing things the way we're doing, but communication and and trying to understand how transparency um, of, you know, what the business is doing and why they're doing it. This really opens the door for people to be more engaged because they feel like they're part of the conversation instead of, again, just waiting to be told what to do in that sort of more traditional top-down management type of a scenario. Yeah, I can tell I've been guilty of this just to give some background. My own practice at one of our locations, we want to build a new facility. And it's been roadblock after roadblock with Mm -hmm. regulatory issues and, and just design issues. And you know, when we first started the process, I was just like, I didn't communicate enough, I realized about it, because I kept on thinking, well, I need to get more information. I don't want to go to the staff with just, you know, here's a progress, but nothing has changed. And what I soon realized is they'd rather hear, you know, me talking once a month saying nothing's changed. I'm still waiting. This is what's going on. than to wait months three, four, five months with nothing at all, because in the absence of us telling what's going on, our own story, 
they're making up stories. And when they don't care anything for a few months, they're like, something must not be right or something's not going on. So I've gotten to the point now where we just communicate all the time about it. And I think since then, people appreciate, hey, things happen. I mean, you know, you're trying to build a new facility. Nothing goes well and, it's, and uh, you know, it doesn't always go as planned. So I think people want to be involved. So I, I, I don't think we can communicate too much on some of these things. No, I mean, it's sometimes, and I mean, in this day and age, uh, and it makes me feel really ancient to say that, but, um, you know, we have, we almost have so many means of communication that uh, we can confuse people as to how, you know, are we doing it on online messaging? Are we doing it via email? Are we doing it with spoken word? Are we doing it, you know, in some other fashion? Um, but it's not really an excuse, you know, it's figure out what works best for the majority and stick to it and just keep doing it. And depending on the practice, communication frequency really depends on the people and what kind of information you need to pass along. Um, but really spending time making sure that you're communicating, you know, appropriately is is just key. There's nothing worse than people being surprised. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you never want to surprise a client. So why would you surprise your own staff? Yeah, for sure. So the last point in, in a high development culture is that they mm-hmm. hold managers accountable. Can you speak on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting, um, you know, because managers are sort of as only only as good as their team and vice versa. Um, and we often, you know, talking about coaching and, and moving away from traditional management, we could we could tend to think, oh, well, you know, these people, our staff aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. But really, it's the manager uh, is the one who sets the tone. Uh, you know, we talked about it in the first theme, you know, the manager is the one who uh, is making sure that people understand uh, where we're going and why we're doing it. Um, so the idea of holding managers accountable and having consequences for teams being disengaged, you know, if you're doing an employee engagement survey or you're even doing informal chats with your staff and there's um, disgruntlement or there's unhappiness, you know, we need to talk to the managers and say, okay, what are we doing? What's, what is your management style like? You know, we need to be the coach for our managers you know, and, and make sure that uh, we also have the right people in those roles. You kind of tend to, you know, somebody's been around for a while and they're really good at their job. And we tend to think, oh, this person should be a manager. But that's not necessarily the case. Not everybody is cut out to be a manager. Not everybody likes that position. Then you have that mismatch. But the idea instead that, you know, you carve out um, roles for people who are high performers, but not management material. You know, I, I think back, um, my first human resources job was at an accounting firm. And um, they had somebody who was very, very good, very detail-oriented and very uh, meticulous, but not necessarily the personality for a manager. And they, they created a position for him um, being, you know, their, their guide of professional standards. You know, he's had a really long and really wonderful career there. Uh, whereas if he'd been put into a manager position, he wouldn't have lasted that long because it's just not his personality. So I think it's remembering that you know, because somebody's good at something doesn't mean that they are management material, but it's sort of our responsibility to find something that works for them. And it's it can be difficult in a small vet practice to find other roles for people, but 
you know, really critically thinking about the future and thinking, what are we going to need for this practice? Or, you know, what other creative ways can we use this person other than, you know, pushing them into something that they're not prepared to do? Yeah, I was listening to another podcast, and they're talking about communication styles and and coaching and what have you. And, and, and the one theme that came out are that experts are not all, always good teachers and, you know, just trying to break down what we do. And some people really have a challenge with that. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. And it makes me, it reminds me of, um, I went to school also for jazz performance and I played the saxophone. And I remember they had excellent teachers at the college I went to, but if somebody's a natural p- musician with perfect pitch, they can't necessarily tell you how to do what they do because it just comes so naturally yeah. to them, you know, and they were, you know, wonderful performers and really highly respected, but they were not necessarily effective teachers. Yeah. So uh, definitely that's a great point. So when we segue, I mean, we look at the advantages of a highly engaged employees, highly engaged businesses, the benefits for both the person, the business. I mean, they're just there are no downsides to having a highly engaged team. And I think even more so when we look at the global trend of, you know, the depression in our profession. I mean, we can go into the high suicide rate and those are just tragic things that happen to our profession. So, you know, I think really getting into, a, you know, performance of, of high, a culture of high performance and team development really could help with a lot. I know we, you know, we, we're at conferences, we talk to people and it just seems like the, the biggest challenge people have right now is how to hire people. And, you know, and I'm thinking, well, if you can keep the people that you have and, you know, that's probably going to be half the battle. So we're, we're, we'll talk a little bit about hiring in a little bit, sort of a little teaser for the next webinar that we're doing at Oculus. So I think the next article we are looking at is, a, you know, is the counterpoint to that. And I think very applicable to our industry and in talking about worker burnout, how to recognize it and, and what to do about it. And uh, this was a recent article in um, the Washington Post. Um, and it just, it was a, it was a commentary about uh, one of the columnists and, and she just did some work and did some uh, research on it. And it was just, you know, appreciated her vulnerability coming out and talking about it. But I think burnout is such a factor in our profession. I think there's a lot of, of not just vets, but uh, support staff, technicians, receptionists, office managers that sort of carry on, go through their day and they're burnt out. And it's, it's just a hard, it's just hard for everybody. So when we look at the world health organization's um, uh, description, they say it's a widespread occupational phenomena characterized by depletion or exhaustion, negative feelings or cynicism about one's job and reduced effectiveness at work. So, you know, if we're going to have a highly engaged team, when we have people with burnout, that's going to be hard. It's going to be even harder for them trying to keep up to the other. So I think recognizing burnout is something that is essential for us as leaders, managers, what have you. So, what, did you, what were your takeaways from this this article, Katie? It was just a, it was a heartbreaking article for her. I'm glad this woman came out on top of it, but it really resonated with me about our own profession. Definitely, um, you know, I the one quote that I wrote down uh, that really struck me was, uh, and this kind of goes along with employee engagement too. Uh, the quote is, "Hard workers can be happy workers in the right conditions." So, you know, you have highly engaged employees, but you can have people who are too engaged, and you know, are are um, increasingly in a position where they can't disengage themselves from their work. And there are a number of different reasons for that. And they could be, in, um, you know, intrinsic or they could be um, something that's really uh, company driven or management driven. But it really struck me how um, 
the the role that management plays uh, and also the role that the employee themselves needs to play in recognizing when they're becoming burned out and putting a hand up and asking for help. You know, if there's one thing that's I've seen uh, in the work that we do with the with our clients is that veterinarians are like, and, and also the support staff that work for veterinarians are very, very, very dedicated people to their own detriment. And we need to be able to figure out a way to make sure that people understand that asking for help isn't a sign of weakness and they're not going to get punished for it, but that we encourage people to, um, you know, work-life balance is a word, is a term that's really bandied about quite a bit, but, and it means, absolutely means different things for different people, but we need to encourage people to, um, you know, and, and really believe in the fact that we can't work people to the bone. We don't want to work them, you know, work is into their entire lives whether they think it is or not. And we might have to step in and uh, force some kind of balance sometime with some people if, if we see them going down a path that's really detrimental to their health and their well-being. So the one expert that they uh, cite in this article talks about the primary cause of burn is burnout is a negative workplace culture. Funny, after what we just talked about mm. that, but they talked about deficiencies in six areas, purpose, opportunity, success, appreciation, well-being and connection and i thought you know the purpose we've talked a lot about and i think that is interesting how they put that as the very first one because without a uh, purpose uh, everything else doesn't really matter but i thought with regards to vet and veterinarians and vet practices i think three of those six really stuck out to me in terms of you know how we interact with our clients and our ability to heal our patients so i looked at success appreciation and connection. So success is not guaranteed as a vet practice. You know, we try our best and whether it's economics, diagnostic limitations, whatever, you know, what is success? And I think when we go there as vets thinking we need to heal everything and we can't, I think that preys on a lot of them. I know when you talk to vets, wherever you are, regardless of the species, all they do is focus on the ones that got away, the ones that didn't work. They don't often talk about their successes. And I think the success, I think there's something in that that we need to dig deeper in our profession to try to describe and to set a framework of what success and maybe as we're talking and just thinking that's something that maybe as a practice, as the, as the owners of the practice, when you're onboarding new people in terms of defining this is success, recognizing in our profession that unless we have a, a, a shared sense of what success is, people are going to go to, you know, healing our patients. And that's, you know, that's not always going to be where we want it to be. No, I mean, there, there can certainly be unhealthy ends that come with, you know, just focusing on healing patients. I think appreciation is on two sides. One is just the appreciation at work. You know, you're appreciated by your coworkers. You're re- appreciated by management, the owners, the leaders of the practice. But I also think also is appreciation with our clients. And I did a recent um, uh, well, end of the year, end of the decade blog. And I had asked a bunch of vets from some Facebook groups about, you know, what are the biggest changes? And, you know, to boil it down to, I think the main one was with the advent of social media and the anonymity that comes along with it is veterinarians do not feel very appreciated anymore. And whether you try your hardest and then somebody goes onto Facebook and just absolutely slams what you do, I think that is an area that is particularly hard for our profession because we just try so hard to take care of these helpless animals and the ones that should be appreciating us 
don't. And then I think that's where it ties into connection, that if we don't have a connection with our clients, I think connection becomes sort of a, a negative feedback loop that the more burnt out you are, the less you're engaging with your, even your coworkers, which even makes you feel more isolated. And just that that tenuous connection that we should be having or that more solid connection we have becomes very tenuous and, and frayed. And I think those are three areas that I think I just, I just want to start looking at that a bit more when we're looking at practices because I think success, appreciation, and connection are three particular areas in our profession that we struggle with. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, the thing that linked both of these articles for me was um, the role, again, that management plays in making sure that they are setting their example, Um, you know, not saying you guys don't need to stay here all night and then they stay all night and they don't necessarily make the distinction that, you know, that's their choice because it can be really difficult. And, you know, we've seen it before when we've done um, business education meetings where we talk about work-life balance and we talk about stuff with these people who have own practices and they turn around and say, yeah, well, these kids are just soft. And when I was coming up, I was up all night with horse colics or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's just, it can be a bit disheartening because we say all this stuff and they nod their heads, but then really ingrained is nobody works, yep. as, works as hard as I do. And that's, I think that that's a really insidious kind of um, attitude to have because it's, it's something that will trickle down to the staff, whether you are overt or, or not about saying it. So I think that the, we have an obligation to make sure that we are really believe in that we really understand that the effect that burnout and stress and mixed messages can have for our staff. Well, you'd be very proud of me. I was talking to somebody at my practice today and they said, well, how was your weekend? We had a long weekend here in Canada and Ontario where we're at. And I said, I did nothing. I was tired. I slept. I slept 10 hours (laughs) Friday, nine hours Saturday. I just slept and did nothing. I think they were a bit shocked here. I was like, I'm tired. I just needed to rest. I'm great now, but I needed a weekend off. Nothing wrong with saying that. No. Last thing I want to talk about is you are going to be presenting a webinar. This is part of our online, monthly online education series on March 5th, Thursday, March 5th at two o'clock Eastern. And you're going to be talking about hiring. And, you know, as we said earlier, it's such a challenge with vet practices of how to hire for vets, staff, anybody. And so I think we'll have a one hour uh, presentation, sort of giving the overview tips of how to make your practice the, you know, a desired one and how to make sure we're selecting the right people. I, I don't want to give it all too much away, but is there anything else you want to add as letting people know what we'll be talking about? I think you covered it pretty well. I think that there are definite links uh, with what we've talked about today with, you know, that the question of how do we position ourselves as a place where people want to come to work, uh, you know, a place where people are engaged and they're happy because there's so much competition for um, veterinary staff, professional veterinary staff, as well as support staff. So, um, you know, it's, it's not not really p- probably um, possible that we're going to have more people available for these jobs in the near future. In fact, we'll probably have less. So it's up to us to make sure that we are um, we're, we have a place where people want to work and that we're also um, making sure that we pick the right people when it does come time. I mean, we always talk about the, um, the phrase desperation hires where you just need a body in a position. And more often than not, that's not the right person. And uh, it ends up having uh, an effect on the staff that's quite negative. Uh, sometimes you can be surprised, but often those desperation hires don't work out. So we're going to talk about some strategies for 
um, how to select the right people and uh, how to make sure that they're going to be the right fit for your practice. Excellent. Well, I'll put a link to that into the podcast notes so people can register for it. And again, that's on Thursday, March 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Katie, thanks a lot. This has been great. I can't wait to do this on a monthly basis. I mean, human resources, something is a passion we both share and we see the difference of, you know, great workforce in, in the workplace. So uh, I'm looking forward to further discussions. And I'd ask anybody who's listening, if there's an article that they've liked, they want to share or if they have a question that we can respond to please uh, send it along to us thank you very much great thanks mike at oculus insights we care a lot about animals but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success 